everyone. You're listening to the Full Contact Cannabis Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Hale, and you are in Hell Studios with the Old Hemp Farmer. What is happening, Old Hemp Farmer? Nothing but the rent right now, baby. Nothing but the rent. So there's been some interesting activity going on in the world of medical marijuana. And the old hemp farmer wanted to discuss it today. And I told him, you need to stop talking and I'm going to hit the record button and we're going to talk about it on the podcast. So tell us what the lowdown is. Well, right now in Kentucky, Tennessee and Alabama, there are medical marijuana bills pending. And for the first time, it appears at least in one of these states, maybe even two, that they're going to have medical marijuana. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, Billy Hell, is those states that already have a CBD market, a hemp CBD market, how will that affect medical marijuana? Because one of the things that has fueled some of the interest in high CBD hemp has been the concept that, well, if I'm in high CBD, when they legalize medical or rec, I'll be in line to get a license. I will say I was on a hemp farm recently, and this was part of the conversation that that one day it'll be legalized and, and we're going to go big. So now you're going to tell us what that actually would mean or look like. Well, that's the law of unintended consequences, because if this happens, how does that change the cannabinoid market? Are they going to lump it all together? Is high CBD going to be with high THC? Are you going to be able to get it the same place? Are you going to be able to sell it the same place? Is it going to be taxed the same? And more importantly, to all those hemp dogs out there thinking that this is my gateway to being able to do recreational or medical marijuana, am I going to be able to get a license? And that's the big thing right now. And this is the thing. Nobody knows. uh, One of the things about strange things about medical marijuana bills are is that they start out one way and they end up another way. And then even once a medical marijuana law gets passed, how it ends up being actually implemented and, you know, making it to a dispensary is a totally different thing because Laws often get passed. I mean, perfect example of that was, okay, they passed a hemp law here in Tennessee in 2014, but then nobody thought about the CBD market. So the whole idea to pass the law was that there was going to be people growing it for fiber or oil. Then when people started wanting to make basically cannabinoids out of it, It was like, oh, we don't know if you can do that or what you can do. Can you do flour? It says in the law, anything under 0.3 THC Delta 9 is a legal product. Well, no one ever thought, well, we'll have flour or any of the other things or how you were going to make products because that was the thing about it. What everybody found out when they started wanting to do CBD is if you want to make certain products, you're going to go over 0.9 on Delta 9. I mean, 0.3 on Delta 9. So there was this consequences and it had to get worked out. And it took a couple, at least a couple years and people getting arrested and a few other things before it settled in. All the way into closing shops that were totally operating legally. Yes. 
So now here, when this happens, how is this all going to affect? Because one of the cool things about, well, let's just use Kentucky and Tennessee and Alabama. There were hemp industries, hemp farmers, people spending lots of money either growing it or processing and making products before medical marijuana. Whereas the weird thing about the states out west was they had legal medical marijuana and sometimes even recreational marijuana before they had hemp laws. Interesting. So what happened is in these places, when the laws get implemented, they had to take into account for that. And the big dog at the time, especially in some place like Washington State, was medical and recreational marijuana. They're the ones who had the political action groups. They're the ones who had lobbyists, and they helped get to formulate the law. Hence, why in Washington State, yes, you can grow hemp, but you cannot grow hemp for cannabinoids unless you go in and you grow it under the medical recreational which is the liquor and marijuana and liquor control board of Washington state. So here all these people are wishing for medical marijuana. If it comes in, who's going to dictate how it gets controlled? Because like I said, in Kentucky and Tennessee, it's not a five or $6 million industry. It's hundred million dollar industry. So, a hundred million dollar or more industry in CBD, how does that fit and play nice with medical marijuana? I don't know. How do you tax it? Right. And how does that change the taxing structure for people that are currently growing right now? And that's the, the whole thing. In California, what they did is if you wanted to grow cannabinoids and stuff and produce it, you had to produce it in their system, which meant that you couldn't bring in things in from out of state and whatever. So they've got it contained, which means there's huge amounts of material in California that are just sitting there. I mean, like a bunch, because be, to be able to implement it as a cannabinoid to their system is it's not been really worked out. And it's evolving. So... It's going to be curious. Also, the, the the most curious thing is once it does come in, who gets the license? Right. And, and uh, one of the things I love about the past three years being in the, the hemp industry or high CBD cannabis in is people sidling up to me at, at various in the CBD things or hemp things and saying, you know, this is the year. It's going to happen this year. And I said, well, how do you know? Well, we're working with some lobbyists and we're, we're kind of writing the law. Now, I heard that in 2017. I heard in 2018. Heard the same thing in 2019. And now, here it is, 2020. And once again, I'm here. This is the year. So, the thing that's very curious is even if it does get passed, is it going to be what's happened in places like Florida or Maryland to where whatever group of rich people didn't get a license sued to get a license and then actually filed injunctions to make sure it didn't start until they got 
what they thought was a fair hearing, which is basically, I want my damn license or I'm going to make you guys living hell through litigation. And so it took Maryland a good two years. And I have a gut feeling that the very wealthy groups, and there are, there have been people been spending hundreds in, in Kentucky and in Tennessee, I know for a fact, that over the last couple years, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent on lobbyists. So that leads me to an interesting question with the year 2020. Uh, certainly not going political here, just going uh, off something I read that Bernie Sanders said that if he was elected on the first day, he would legalize marijuana in all the states. And so my question to you is, how does that affect any of this? It just makes it more muddled. It's just another thing it's in there because this is the one thing about cannabis laws in the United States. They somewhat mimic what alcohol was because that's America's favorite drug of choice is ethanol. And so if we, we go back to where in, you had prohibition and then Roosevelt got in and he pretty well strong armed the repeal of prohibition. The states were left to their own devices. Some states just boom. One day after, you know, the federal went in, the state law passed and you had legal in that state. Then you had other states that were more conservative, more dominated by fundamental Christian and, and the abolitionist, you know, sort of prohibitionist movement. It took years for that to come on. That's why to this day there are dry counties in the United States. So this is the thing about it is I would not see where it would be too much differently in that where basically community standards would probably rule out whether your community or your state or your county had legal cannabis. So we'd have to drive to Kentucky, and it would be a, a legal in one sense and illegal in a whole other sense. So that's the thing about it is one of the things though, having uh, president Sanders, if that was what the case would be saying that uh, cannabis was illegal federally, the banking laws, transportation, everything like that would open up because we still have in, you know, the medical marijuana or recreational marijuana. We still have, the oppressive 280E, which is the statute that the IRS did telling you what you can legally deduct and you cannot legally, cannot deduct in a cannabis business. I don't know if a lot of people understand this, and we may have said something about it on a, another podcast. If you grow cannabis, high THC cannabis, for sale, whether it is le legally medically or recreational in your state, there's only on your federal income tax form, there's any of the cost after production cannot be deducted. And if anybody's ever been into a uh, recreational or a medical marijuana dispensary, one thing you will usually notice is how small it is because that expense cannot be deducted. Ah, I did not know that. Very interesting. Which is back to the whole thing about legal marijuana and the CBD. If we come in here and we bring medical marijuana into, let's say, just Tennessee, because we're living here, we know it. 
if I have over 0.3% THC, just a skosh, it's only 1% CBD. I mean, THC and 99% CBD, it's over 0.9. Is that a high THC product or is that a high CBD product? And who gets to oversee it? And that's the other thing when it comes to these states, when they all of a sudden, whether it's Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, you wake up and your legislature say, you know what, we're doing this. Well, the next day, there's a bunch of bureaucrats that now all of a sudden have to make it work. It's almost like concealed carry law, you know, and traveling from this state to that state to this state. And everyone has completely different rules about everything, even though it's legal in all three states. Right. And so that has to do with that inflammation when it comes in is. And then the other thing, which is going to be very interesting in these states, which department gets it? Is it agriculture? Is it uh, you know, the judicial? You know, is it the, under the auspices of the Bureau of Investigation? Is it health and wealth? You know, fair for who who gets the baby? Because now we're talking about probably if you can get in and have a successful medical marijuana, it's revenue, big time, big time. So who gets that? I do know one thing, which is I do know in the state of Tennessee. The Department of Agriculture, the Tennessee Department of Agriculture, doesn't want any part of medical marijuana. That's not their deal. They don't want it. And if they have anything to do about it, they're not going to oversee it. I mean, because they got stuck with CBD. I mean, let's face it. When the TDA found out that next day that, oh, by the way, you're, you, know, you guys now are the head of the hemp program. You know, CBD wasn't on on the radar. No, it was except for a couple crazy people like me who came in and said, "Now wait a minute. If I grow this and I stay under point three delta nine, can I grow this for CBD?" And the person looked at me and was just like, "We don't care what you do as long as you don't go over point three delta nine THC." And that's and that's where all of them, all of a sudden now you had this different thing and. And then they had to deal with it because when they found out 90 some percent of all the people growing hemp was really wasn't growing a hemp. They were growing medical high CBD cannabis. Now that you're talking to all these people, when you're talking to your, your high CBD farmer and they're talking about medical marijuana, what do they think is going to happen? I always, you know, no one elaborates on, on their feelings on the beautiful future of when medical marijuana hits, but it always feels to me like what they're describing is a nirvana of money and uh, growth and an industry that can't be stopped. And it's the future of what they've always hoped for in the hemp industry. That's the feeling I get every time it comes up. One day this is going to happen and our dreams will all come true, which would be awesome. Well, the one thing, though, I now that you did mention it, Billy Hill, is this uh, misinformation or feeling that medical mar- if you can grow medical marijuana or produce it or sell it, you're going to make a boatload of money. Forever, yes. And, and the thing about it is, is, once again, you know, whoever gets in there first, and if there's the, you know, the right conditions, yes, you can make money, but... 
The other thing that people never talk about with medical marijuana versus recreational is, is, and this once again has to do with the state and how profitable it is. It's called qualifying conditions. Okay, we have medical marijuana here in Tennessee. Okay, what is, can it be prescribed for? Is it going to be chronic pain? Is it only going to be for epilepsy? Is it going to be for only for oncology? Who gets to prescribe it? And then who picks it? Uh, I'm going to bring up Oklahoma. And the reason why is when most people think of medical marijuana, Oklahoma is not the first state they think of. Yet Oklahoma has more per capita people with a med card than any state in the union. All right. Because of basically, and I don't want to exaggerate, I think two or three percent of the population of Oklahoma has a medical marijuana card. They have 1,800 dispensaries in a state that only has about three and a half million people. Now, why is it this is? All right. They made qualifying conditions, basically pain, almost any condition that you can think of, they'll give you a card. And then the other thing happened, which is you were talking about, was your physician. There's a boatload of physicians in Oklahoma that embraced it. So you find a physician that'll get you a med card is not hard. I would not. Th I would think it would just be going to another doctor. It's like, of course. But in Oklahoma, there's a pretty good chance your doctor will go, well, what is it that you like? Do you like drops? Do you like vapes? Do you like flour? All right. And they write you one. I got to say, you know, it's I we're doing this podcast. We're talking about this topic. It's all completely legal. And yet it's currently illegal. So it feels weird. And yet we're talking about something that is less detrimental than drinking Coors or whiskey. You know, well, the weird thing about is exactly what you say. You know, we're cannabis professionals because of that. If you're a cannabis professional, you're dealing with people growing all over the country and they're growing all sorts of different things. Like this morning, I talked to my good friend, Donald Saucy, who's at Columbia River Cannabis up in Washington. We're talking about doing a project up there, up there. And it's just like you said, totally different laws. Can't grow hemp for CBD, but you can gr grow. Oh, and also the weird thing also in Washington State, which is like different too. And this will go back to medical marijuana. Now, some states, you can grow up to six, eight, ten plants for your own consumption. If you're, you got a med license, you can grow. Now, a state like uh dear old uh washington state it's a recreational med state but you cannot legally grow cannabis for recreational uses in the state of washington you want legal cannabis there you got to go to a rec store well and then that leads us let's say that it was legalized in tennessee um and the assumption is uh people are just going to be growing this in their little patch and I got to think that giant industry will just put their heavy hand over the top of this and it'll all be coming out of labs um, and it'll bypass the small farmer completely. That's my biggest fear. Half the states where you have medical marijuana, I'm kind of loose on that. So if you're out there and it's your Google machine, check it. But there's a, a boatload of states that have medical marijuana. You can't grow at home. Right. Yeah. You have to get your... Like I said, your thing from your doctor, you have to get your card. 
And then there's X amount of places where you can go and get it. But who's growing that medical marijuana, let's say in Washington? Is it uh, farmers like you or is it uh, uh, chemists in uh, indoor facilities? Well, because Washington State's dominated by the cannabis industry, the high THC. That's what I'm saying is they have political action groups. They have lob- lobbyists. They kind of control how that goes. And, and it's, like I said, set up with the Liquor Control Board up there, Marijuana Control Board, I'm sorry. They, they changed it. So um, it's people who have I-502 recre- uh, recreational producer's license. So it can be anyone that and has that license. Buys that license, and that's the only people can. Right. And east of the Mississippi, which is seems to be that kind of demarcation line about where people tend to have more rights and can grow more at their own house. East of the Mississippi, very few states let individuals grow marijuana for themselves. Rhode Island does, Vermont, you know, but now Vermont is still, and here's another example how laws are really weird. Vermont is a recreational uh, state. It's legal, but they don't have dispensaries. There's no stores where you can go buy recreational marijuana in vermont yet they're still wrestling with that it's it's like they're encouraging people well there's a theory about this sort of okay and this is a whole nother topic and it's a big talk black market i mean it is one of the bugaboos about the whole med wreck is that coming in and doing this the whole one of the ideas was is that if you had legal sources then the black market would go away. So here you have one of the, I guess, when you Petri dish or whatever you call it, is basically our, our capital. A lot of people don't realize that although fe- cannabis is, high THC cannabis is illegal federally, Washington, D.C., it's legal, both med and recreational, that there's no legal place to grow it. So what you have is this huge, and I mean huge, uh, indoor grow scene because you can grow for your own consumption. So now what happened in D.C. is that, A, the barter system, and then, B, there is this huge industry of people going around basically selling like, uh, what do you want to call them, kits, where there are guys like one of them I saw on Vice, was you hire him, he comes by, sets up your lights, make sure you got your plants, comes by every week or so and checks up on how healthy they are. You know, once you harvest, brings you new clones so you can have your little continuous little supply of hemp. It's almost like a cross between a homebrew and a guy that cleans your pool. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Except he's real good with cannabis. Right. So now... You've got this other thing that's happened in D.C., which is kind of strange, is it? I can give you an ounce. I can give you an ounce of cannabis, and you can have as many as two ounces of cannabis in your possession. So let's say I got a shirt store. Yeah, that's it. I'm selling T-shirts. But it so happens for every T-shirt you buy at $50, there's two grams of weed that we're giving you as a promotional value. And this is Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. That's crazy. Wow. I know. So reason we went kind of went around there 
is that, okay, yeah, we're having medical marijuana here, maybe. But actually, when it all gets down to what it'll look like, what it'll sound like, smell like, right? no one has a clue. It all depends on uh, the whim of the government at the time, who's in office. And then we're depending on these guys to be smart enough to pull all this off, which is a big ask. Also depends on who had the lobbyist there, because this is the thing about it is. If anybody knows about that, that whole process, there are all these committees. And in these committees, basically, if you have a p- powerful enough person on that, whether it's the House or Senate, House or Senate, they can kill bills. Ah, right. Or they can come in and say, you know, boys, girls, if you want this bill to come through here, you got to do this. And that's where the lobbyists come in. And this is the thing about now, a bunch of the, when I say, especially Kentucky and Tennessee and a couple of these other states, there's been enough money made and contributed to politicians that now they have influence. And it just keeps coming back. So what do you think the reality is uh, for any of these states or time frames? Do you have any thoughts on that? I would have thought that Alabama would have been the last likely place. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I am now thinking that Alabama might be the first one to do it. You think it's revenue that uh, is also greasing those wheels? They're like, man, we could use a little money. I think it's the revenue stream. And then the thing that people don't talk about is it costs a lot of money to put somebody's butt in jail. And if you're in a very extremely poor state, you know, it's so like 28,000 a year or something like that. Probably, well, in more, oh God, I'm going to get flamed on Alabama. Alabama has a horrible penitentiary system and they cheap. So yeah, it might be 28 there, but more like in Tennessee or Kentucky, that might be more like 45, 60. So if you can keep a thousand people out, you're talking about $60 million. Right. And on the flip side of it, revenue. And then the third thing about all this is, is that politicians lead people where they want to go. And that whether you want a finger in the dike to keep this in right now, if you want to get in your car, me, you, Jim T, and we don't want to drive about three and a half hours, we could be in a recreational state. Illinois, you, the southern part of Illinois, they've got all sorts of little rec stores right across from that Kentucky-Indiana border. So, you know, it's headed here. It's in Michigan now. Gotcha. So once it got in the Midwest, I mean, Oklahoma has medical marijuana, one of the most conservative places in the nation. But always an outlaw state, full of outlaws. That's true. From the early days, and I'm sure they have that, outlaw mentality. Oh, my God. There were Sooners for a reason. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, but that's what I'm saying is the march is there. And right now, in the, just say in the state of Indiana, uh, not state of Indiana, they're, they're as high, but not as high as Tennessee. Right now, 68 to 70% of evangelical Christians in the state of Tennessee believe in medical marijuana. Wow, that's impressive. And it's, all we have to do is uh, let old people die out and let the young people come on up. And I believe that's all it'll take. 
I don't think it's the old people stopping it. Well, right now we're with the old people. And I forget this. I had a guy in my truck the other day and uh, he was listening to Black Sabbath and it, it I'm going somewhere because this sounds a little crazy, but I had to wrap my head around that this used to be a long haired hippie in the 60s and 70s. And now he just happens to look like an old guy. Well, and so that's who our old people are now, I guess. I mean, and so that's what I'm saying is I'm talking to a 77 year old and in a Y who's talking about he can't find sour diesel. So the time is now. Well, the thing about it is it's been the time for a while, but politicians now can't ignore it. And then, then this the other thing. And I say this with all the love in the world because I used to do political commercials. Basically, politicians are gutless. They are not going to go out there and put their neck on the line if they thought it can cost them votes. But now we're at that point for a politician. Am I going to gain more votes than yeah. I am losing votes? Right. And the thing about it is, right now, I mean, there's a reason why you were t- we talked about Bernie Sanders, right? Well, I have a feeling there's a reason why Bernie Sanders says, and the day I get elected, we're going to have legal weed. Because, quite frankly, there's going to be people who go out there, I'm voting for this guy. Yeah, they'll go to the polls on that alone. And and if that's successful for him, think of all the other politicians who are going to stick this in their lineup of things they're going to do for you. Well, it's also all the ex-politicians now that work for cannabis companies. Ah. Baynard, who was the Speaker right. of the House, right. now is a board of a member and getting paid by one of the larger, uh, what do you want to call it, publicly traded cannabis companies in the world. A guy that when he was in office basically drew a line in the sand saying, we'll never have this here. I'll never let this happen. Now, I could give him the benefit of the doubt because I've known politicians who were adamantly cannabis until a loved one got cancer. And then in the span of 48 hours, they realized, oh, my God, I was wrong about this. But it wasn't until someone they knew and loved got, you know, were benefited by cannabis. So now maybe we can say that that happened to the orange man. I don't know. Or it could be how many zeros is that? Right, right, right. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm feeling warm and fuzzy about cannabis right now. And it is, you know, Steve Johnson, who is the governor of New Mexico. He has a cannabis company now. So we'll see. It's moving this way. But ultimately, it will all boil down to one thing, money. And I didn't ask you this on the podcast, but if uh, it was legalized, how would it affect what you do, Tennessee Homegrown? Well, Tennessee Homegrown, because we're into R&D, you know, we've already explored where we could get genetics because the one cool thing about, you know, being a high CBD business and the way that we have been growing and processing, we basically mimicked what we were doing, what I was doing up in Washington State. So with us, it's just a matter of changing genetics. Right. Shifting gears. That's it. And so and so, I guess I can talk about this. Um, I'm flying up to uh, Washington to meet with Columbia River Cannabis, and we're going to ink a deal about them being able to supply us genetics. So, yeah, 
But as far as us, like, oh my gosh, we can't wait till this happens. Because for one thing, even if we can do this and get a hold of the genetics, will the numbers work? Is it going to be a business that's going to be profitable? Right. As, a, as opposed to just assuming it will be, you need to actually look well, at the numbers. We're not that we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Yeah, Tennessee Homegrown's doing okay. So the thing about to just to get up one morning and say, yep, we're shifting. We're, right. we're, we're not doing CBD anymore. We're just going to do THC. I, I would think it would be a combo. You keep what you know and, and grow what is coming. Well, and we mentioned this earlier. Grow your business that is coming. The exciting thing is about this industry, if we're actually talking about medical and not recreational, is is that that I was talking earlier, if you're like two-tenths or you're 2% CBD and the rest of it's THC, is what is that? Or if it's just the opposite. Because the research is doing, especially on the medical marijuana side, is these where you get these ratios where you're changing the amount of THC versus the amount of CBD. And quite frankly... It, one of the things that is the most interesting and, and we're talking about is it's 50% CBD, 50% THC. Okay, is that a THC product or is that a CBD product? Right. And someone will have that answered by then, I'm sure. Well, which is one of the reasons why we have kind of explored that that whole THC thing is, is like if we get into this because – we have customers that are truly our med patients. They're cancer patients and probably a little bit more THC in their stuff would probably be quite beneficial. Well, very interesting topic. And uh, is anything playing out anytime soon? When will we be able to see uh, the outcome of some of this stuff? Well, springtime is when hopes, you know, <laughs> sprout and so does the legislation. So, all the legislation that medical, especially here in the South, Kentucky, is right now. Right now, they're holding hearings. We have uh, people here that are doing this thing here in Tennessee called Hemp on the Hill, where they're organizing groups and they're coming out and talking to, to their legislatures. So this is actually going on right now as we speak. And Hemp on the Hill is this weekend, correct? The 29th? I, it's something in there. It's, I think been actually going on. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. But the thing about it is this is a, for all the states that have the legislation for medical pending or it's going on, there's people are going down there every day and saying, don't forget about me. I can't see a negative. It would be awesome for the industry and for just people in general, I think. Well, it would certainly make it more interesting. Yeah. And it would make the podcast uh, have more topics. So. Which is one of the reasons why I know a lot of people, when we decided to name this, kind of said, well, why are you naming it Full Contact Cannabis? Because the world of cannabis is high CBD. It's, high, it's CBG. It's THC. It's all these things. And that's what's so cool about being able to do this. As we go through this, as we discover this, we explore this, we're going to be able to share it with you guys out there. Man, you know, when you when you told me the name, I did think, I think that's going to limit us, but you're totally correct because we are not discussing hemp. We are talking about the plant in general. 
Very interesting. Well, man, I want to thank the old hemp farmer for spending his time over here in the studio and hanging out and talking to us on these topics. I also want to thank the Tennessee Homegrown Farm for being the podcast sponsor. That's tnhomegrown.com. Go check them out. They have a new website. They have a ton of products, more than usual, I would say. You know, I've been out cruising and looking, and you guys have a lot of stuff. The reason why we have a lot of products is because we have store owners that say, you know, if you guys made this, it would be great. So what started out as five or six products now is like 14 or 15. And at one point, we are going to put a line in the sand and no more products. In each podcast, we're going to highlight one of the stores that sells Tennessee Homegrown product. What store are we going to highlight this week? We're going to do a shout out to the produce place. And there is a reason why. The produce place is in Nashville, and it was the first health food grocery sort of place in Nashville that gave us shelf space. And we're talking about three years ago, right about this time. And so they have always been there. They've got great prices. And, you know, it's like I said, you as you know, this being kind of a country boy, you dance with who brung you. <laughs> and where are they located? Out on Murphy Road in Nashville. All right, just down the road. And if you go in there and buy something, tell them the old hemp farmer and Billy Hell sent you. All right, everybody, you've been listening to the Full Contact Cannabis Podcast. I'm Billy Hell in the Hell Studios with the old hemp farmer. We appreciate you, and uh, feel free to click any button that surrounds this podcast that you're listening to it. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye.